volunteer. With all that, you can get your Bibles out or your phone or your tablet um, or pull up the notes online. We're going to be finishing up Genesis chapter 19 this week. We're back on track. Remember, because of that crazy hailstorm three or four weeks ago now, we got our um, weeks a little um, backwards on purpose. And Pastor Brian, if you were here three weeks ago, taught on Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we saved the last tail end of the, chapter 19 for tonight. So we're going to finish up 19 and do, then also do chapter 20. And I'm going to read the last verse that Brian read that night, and that's Genesis 19, 29. Then we'll pick up tonight in verse 30. Because 29 is kind of a good summary. It says, So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And that was Sodom and Gomorrah. A few verses prior to that, it told us what happened to Lot and his family. We kind of know the story, but they fled to a little small village called Zor. So let's pick up now in our story, Genesis 19, verse 30. Here's what it says. This is a crazy story, by the way, so bear with me. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Historically, Zor was a very small, insignificant village, but it's where they fled to. If you remember the story, Lot kind of begged and, and was allowed to escape to this small village. And it was during the destruction that they left. But it makes me wonder as I read this, why are they afraid to stay in Zor? Well, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. And my next question would be, why in the world are they in a cave? I mean, to me, that doesn't sound like a great place to be. Once again, we don't know. All we do know is it says that they were fearful. And I would also kind of speculate anyway that maybe it's a lack of faith. Maybe they were afraid that what would happen in Sodom and Gomorrah might happen to them. But God had protected them. God got them out of there. Remember, he sent the angels to get them out of the city. So they didn't really trust God, it looks like to me anyway. Let's keep reading the crazy part. Verse 31. One day, and that's in the cave, by the way. One day in the cave, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom over all the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. Well, that statement, there's no men around here, there was men in the village of Zor, and I don't know why in the world they didn't just sort of maybe marry some of those guys. But once again, Scripture is not clear. All it says is they were fearful. I would put this in the category, you know, all through Genesis we've been reading these chapters. It was bad plan after bad plan. This might be one of the worst bad plans, you know, when you really think about it. It's drunken sexual immorality with your own family member. Um, and I'll just leave that one right there. But in a way, we also see, I think, where Lot's priorities are because they're describing getting their father drunk. And so as I was studying, it made me wonder, where did this wine come from? And here's what I think, anyway. It's my opinion. You can make your own mind up, and it doesn't really matter. But Scripture says they kind of fled in a panic from Sodom and Gomorrah. So they couldn't have taken it, in my mind anyway, with them, or a lot of it for sure. But now they're in a cave. 
the last time I checked, there's not many grapes in caves. So I don't know where they would have got this wine, except they must have, in my mind anyway, brought it from that village of Zor. They packed it up and took it. So to me, it kind of looks like wine must have been a priority for Lot. It kind of plays into maybe his character is not so hot. And they brought enough to get drunk on, so it wasn't like a one small jug, it doesn't sound like to me, because not just drunk once, we're going to re keep reading it, it's twice. I think the whole story, though, speaks a lot about, a lot, is, is his character. Um, think about what he looked like for an example to his family. If you go back to that week where Pastor Brian taught, remember, he offered up his own daughters who were virgins, and he was willing to let the crowd kind of have their way with them. And he says, don't, don't attack these two, these men. Here, have my daughters and do whatever you want with them. What kind of father does that? And then, you know, we know the story of his wife. She kind of got salty as she left the, the city. <laughs> and then now look at his daughter's terrible decision. Where did they learn that? Well, look where they were living, Sodom and Gomorrah. But I would think their, their father would have been their role model in some ways. And then Pastor Brian touched on this one, too. I'm going to revisit it, the progression of Lot. Remember at, at the very start when Abraham and Lot, he was Abram back then, they divided, and he let Lot pick, and he picked the best fertile area. He, he picked what he thought was the coveted section. So he looked like he was a little bit greedy, just from the description. Next thing you know, he's camped outside the city of Sodom in a tent. Before you know it, he's in this city. Before you know it, he's one of the city leaders at the gate. So he really didn't set very good examples for his family. And it's not one of the main points I've got, but I'll give it to you anyway. Um, I think that this family anyway had left Sodom. It doesn't look like to me Sodom left the family. Their family is full of Sodom behavior, which brings up our first main point if you're taking notes. And I don't do this very often, but our first main point is a scripture because God's word says it way better than I ever could. Let's look at it. Don't be misled, bad company, what's it say? Corrupts good character. Sodom and that area, all those bad decisions, he lived in a sinful area. Look what happened. It wrecked his family in many ways. Back to our story, verse 33. Let's read a few more. That night, so now they, they thought the plan up. Now they're going to put the plan to action, these two girls. That night, they got their father, their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. But look what it says about Lot. He was not aware of it. So to me, he's pretty drunk. He didn't even know what's happening when she lay down or when she got up. Verse 34, the next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night, I slept with our father, my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. Here we go again, same story. He's going to do it again, apparently, too. And then now you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. Verse 35 says that's exactly what happened. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him, too. Again, he was not aware of it, so he kind of sounds like he's pretty plastered, wouldn't you say? He has no idea what's going on. When she laid down or when she got up. So he gets drunk twice, so much he doesn't know anything. He's in a drunken stupor coma almost. Makes me wonder, did he have a hangover? Did he wonder what happened? Was he ever sorry for it? Did he ever repent? Scripture doesn't really tell us. Did his daughters repent? 
We don't know. But verse 36, 7, and 8 do tell us part of what happened, what the outcome of this dumb decision is. Let's read those. 36. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. They got what they asked for. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son. She named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Those two nations are some of those ites we're always laughing about when I read those long list of ites and we kind of make fun of them. And these two are both a constant problem. They're not the worst of the ites, and God does protect them later in Scripture because they are Lot's descendants, and God took care of Lot. He was part of that promise. And eventually, here's what's kind of cool about this messy story, though. And this is, by the way, probably one in my mind, one of the messiest stories in the Bible, like drunken sexual immorality in your own family. But God takes that mess and turns it into his miracle. And here's what I mean by that. Think about the story of Ruth. What was Ruth known as? A Moabitess. Moabitess. Which means she was from Moab. She's one of the Bible's most famous women. And if you remember that story, Naomi fled to Moab. There was a famine, and then her husband and father-in-law die. So she ends up going back to Judah. But Ruth says, I I respect you. I like you. Your faith is strong. I'm going to go with you, and your God will be my God. She goes back to, you know, where Noemi's from, and then Ruth eventually meets Boaz. He's her kinsman redeemer. He eventually becomes her husband, and they have a child named Obed together. Obed has a child also, and that is a grandson of theirs named Jesse, and their great-grandson is David. But that's not where it ends. We know the rest of the story. This Moabitess lineage leads all the way to Jesus. So if you think about it, this drunken mess leads to our Savior. Isn't that kind of cool? God took that messy mess and gave us Jesus. He can do a miracle with our mess is my point. So I don't care what you're here for tonight, how messy you think your life is, how much you've made mistakes. You, You think maybe God doesn't love you or he would never forgive what you've done. You probably hadn't done this. And look what happened. Jesus is the answer of this mess, which brings up our second main point if you're taking notes. God can, and I would say frequently does, use our mess for his miracle. He he uses our mistakes for his glory. So, yes, we mess up because I even prayed when we started. We're messy people, aren't we? I'm messy. You're messy if you're honest. God can take our mess and make it into his miracle. That's how good he is. That's how much he loves us. All he challenges us to do is do better next time. Let me pick you back up out of that miry clay. Be more like my son Jesus. That's our challenge. Okay, we're through the messy part. That was 19. Praise the Lord, we're starting chapter 20. Flip the page and go to 20, verse 1. See, I heard an amen. Praise God. Verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1, because that story, that's kind of the end story of Lot. Now we jump back to Abraham, the story of Abraham. It kind of alternates. There are two stories. From now on, it'll be Abraham and Sarah. So verse 1 of chapter 20 says this. Now Abraham moved on from there, and by the way, from there is that area, that plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, into the region of the Negev, and he lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar. 
We don't know exactly why he moved on from there, but you know, a lot of people believe that Bible commentators, maybe he wanted to get far away as he could from that sin or far away from that destruction. Or maybe he wondered if Lot you know, made it out because he probably wasn't sure if Lot did make it out and maybe he was sad and didn't want to think about Lot anymore if, if he didn't know that he made it or not. So either way, we don't really know, but he's moving on and he's getting away probably from the sin is what I would say. Verse 2 says, and there, which is that region of Gerar, there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, once again, shouldn't have said this, she's my sister. If you remember, he already tried this once in Egypt, remember? And it didn't go well. Here he goes again, my sister, part two. She's my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, since he thinks it's Abraham's sister, he sent for Sarah and he took her. That's what kings do of this era. So what in the world is Abraham thinking? This plan already horribly failed once. I don't know why he thinks it might work this time. He's already lied, and now he's lying again. And the first time he lied, it kind of made it sound like he did it. He remember he, one of his excuses was she's sort of young and beautiful and attractive, and, and he had to lie to make sure they didn't think it was his, his wife. Well, now Sarah's 90. So my opinion is, I doubt that's the same reason. I mean, she was probably still well looking for 90, but she's not a teenage beauty queen at this point in her life. And as far as I can tell by reading scripture, by studying, I can't come up with any good reason why he says this, um, except he's, he's afraid. He, he's clearly afraid. And I would also probably say, in my opinion, he's got a lack of faith. You know, if we go back to the story where I taught, where the angels come and they talk about, they, talk, they tell God, God literally tells him face to face, by this time next year, you'll have a son. And that's when Sarah laughed. He's apparently forgot all about that statement because here he has come up with his own dumb plan again. It makes me wonder, though, how did he expect that even that promise to happen? He's literally given his wife to a pagan king. Here, and he's, what he's really saying is, here, take my, my sister, and she could be part of your harem. Well, then how is she going to have his baby, Abraham's? She's not even there anymore. Um, Maybe he had faith God would fix that one, but I don't know why he had to even give her away to start with. And he's also fearful, I think, that God won't protect him in this new area. Another dumb plan by Abraham. We've already talked about his lie in Egypt. We've already reviewed that story of um, Ishmael. But I think he's caught in this pattern of sin. He's, in, he's stuck in this repeating cycle, which is um, our next main point. If we're not careful, you know, sin can become a pattern that just keeps repeating. And if we don't trust God completely, which in this case, it doesn't look like Abraham does, 100%. Okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know you've got this. That's why he keeps coming up with his own dumb ideas. If we don't trust God completely, that cycle, it just kind of keeps repeating itself. He's back to lying, back to making his own plans, and it's a dumb plan. And it's going to not work this time either, but God is going to fix it. Since Abraham didn't fix it, God's going to fix it for him. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech, which is that pagan king, in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. He probably woke up and said, Oh, my gosh. I didn't know she was married. That guy told me he was his sister. 
he's probably not happy, and I think we'll see that. Um, Abraham, once again, seems to have dropped the ball. But God is going to intervene. He's going to step in and fix Abraham's mistake. Let's keep reading, verse 4 and 5. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her, so he had not, he probably had a large harem. It, it, he hadn't called for her yet, and so she has not been um, made impure, we'll just say. So he said, Lord, would you destroy an innocent nation? In other words, I didn't do anything yet, God. Thank you for the dream, but I hadn't touched her yet. And then he's going to say, kind of point it back to Abraham in verse 5. Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And didn't she also say, he's my brother? I have done this. In other words, I've taken her with clean conscience and clean hands. Verse 4, I think, is a great reminder for us of God's sovereign. He's just sovereign. He's, he's going to take care of things even when Abraham didn't. In other words, he kept Abimelech, and we'll see that in the next verse or two, from consummating that. He, he protected that whole situation because he'd already promised Sarah will have a son by Abraham. And then verse 5 is also, I think, a great example of God's justice and fairness and being a just God because he doesn't punish Abimelech. He knows Abimelech is not guilty of this. He knows it's Abraham's lie. He, he knows he does have a clean conscience because look what God says in verse 6. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, so I have kept you. I have intervened, would be my words. I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. So here's our proof that God is sovereign. He kept Abimelech from sinning to preserve his promise. And here's something we need to remember, kind of a key idea here. It's not really a main point, but... It's still worth mentioning. God can keep you and I from sinning. He can because he's God. He could do anything. He usually doesn't, though, because he wants us to not sin. He, he puts the responsibility on us. He can, but he usually very rarely stops us. We have free will. Now, Scripture says, though, when we become Christians or Christ followers, as we say here at Calvary Chapel, and we give our heart and our soul to the Lord Jesus, and we ask him not just to be our Savior, but our Lord, that we are now freed from the power of sin. So if we're free from it, it becomes like a conscious decision. We might need help. We've got to pray for the Holy Spirit. We might even need to go to classes or go to a program if we're maybe physically addicted to a substance or something like that. But Scripture says sin has no more power to bind us. It becomes our kind of willful disobedience if we're stuck in that rut forever and ever and ever. Because Scripture says you're free from that. We might need help. We might mess up. It might be a process. It might take a while. But, you know, we've got great groups for that here at Calvary Chapel. We have a group for men called Men's One Step. We also have a mixed group for men and women called Celebrate Recovery. And it helps people that are struggling with any kind of issue. You know, it might be drugs, it might be alcohol, but it might be something like video games, overeating, gambling, anger, depression, anxiety, past abuse. Their slogan in Celebrate Recovery is hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's not all about substances. So if that's you and you need some information, find me after the service or... Um, I'd love to introduce you to Bob Scott, who helps run that group. And um, we have a lot of people in this room that go to that group, by the way. It's a great group for parents that have kids that are caught up in that lifestyle. Maybe you just need to go there and pray with other grandparents or parents for your prodigal children. 
But back to the real point, Scripture says we're free from that. God can keep us from sinning like he does here for Abimelech, but usually he wants us to do it through the power of his Holy Spirit. Back to our story, verse 7. He, now he gives Abimelech some instructions. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But the warning is, now in this part, if you do not return her, I've already warned you, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Pretty strong warning, isn't it? Here, here's what you need to do. Give her back, then he's going to pray for you, and I'll fix it. But if you don't, I'm going to kill you all. That's pretty crystal clear, isn't it? Well, he's going to listen because that would scare me. I don't know if it would scare you. That would scare me, especially if God said that with an audible voice in your dream in your ear. <laughs> but it's also, verse 7 again is a great reminder. I already talked about God's you know, being sovereign and being just. This is a great reminder of God being faithful. He just called Abraham, who's messed up again, his prophet. He's not revoked any of his profitability. He calls him his, his faithful prophet, essentially. Even though his faith at this moment is probably, in my mind, minimal, and he's a liar. He's lying about it being you know, his sister. He's going to lie some more. We'll keep reading. Verse 8. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Probably because he said, if I don't do this, we're all going to die. That would probably make him afraid. But then Abimelech called Abraham in, and he said, What have you done to us? What were you thinking? It's, I bet he said a whole lot more than that. That's just what Scripture tells us, he says. How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never have been done. And by the way, everything he's saying right now is 100% true. He's done nothing wrong, essentially, Abraham did. And it's kind of ironic if you think about it. Who's known as the, the hero of our faith and one of the pillars of faith in Hebrews? He's a righteous man. The man of God is sinning, and this pagan king who doesn't even believe is doing the right thing. And he's getting rebuked by a pagan. It kind of, as I was studying this, reminded me of that story of Balaam's donkey. Remember that story? You know, it's just a good reminder. God can use a donkey or he can use a pagan to rebuke us as Christ followers. But the question becomes, will I listen? In other words, I don't know if I'd listen to a donkey, by the way, but I don't know. When a, when, when a person we know, here's my real point. When a person we know that maybe is not a Christian or a Christ follower, as we say, they try to correct us. Do we ever say, what do you know? You don't even believe in God. But, you know, God sends a pagan right here. God can send a pagan in our lives, too, to correct us. God uses all methods. He uses a donkey. So we have to be open to correction from each other. You know, iron sharpens iron. But also, God might send a pagan to say, hey, you look kind of like everybody in the world. Are you really a believer? And instead of getting angry or discounting that, maybe I should think about what they're saying. Like, what, am I, what mixed message am I sending that pagans are correcting me. There's probably, like most truth, there's at least some truth in that correction, and maybe God sent them. So don't discount even a pagan if they are trying to correct us. We need to at least pause and wonder, why are they kind of in my grill about this? Is there any truth to what they're saying? 
Maybe God's trying to send me a message. Because he, he speaks to us through his word, through promptings, through the Holy Spirit. But he sometimes uses people, possibly even like in this story, an unchristian person. We just need to be open for correction. Amen? Amen. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Now here comes an excuse. I'll just jump to the point. Verse 11. Abraham replied, well, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, because they're all pagans, and they will kill me because of my wife. So do you see any repentance in that statement? Or he's being corrected. God sent, I think, Abimelech to tell him that. All he does is come up with an excuse. And I would probably say, in my opinion, once again, it's a bad excuse. Because if anybody has no fear of God right now, it looks to me like Abraham. You know, he's not afraid of, he's sinning and he's lying. And it's about to get worse. You'll see what I mean in a second. Verse 12, he says, besides, she really is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And what he's really saying, she's my half-sister. You know, we share the same father, different mothers, but so that makes her my half-sister. So I, I wasn't really lying, is what he's trying to say. But I would say the opposite. Even though this might be a half-truth, it's a whole lie. Because he's trying to deceive the man. He's really, it's all about his, his heart. You know, all Scripture talks about a lot of times is God doesn't care about the appearances. He cares about our hearts. His heart was up to deception, so that little half-truth is a whole lie. And he's trying to hide it, cover it up, and make excuses. He's blame-shifting is what he's really doing, which brings up a great verse out of Proverbs. Let's look at it together on screen. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin doesn't prosper. That's a word from the Lord. But one who confesses, and not to a person, confesses them to God, God, I have sinned against you, and renounces them, finds mercy. Abraham, if you think about it, he didn't read this proverb. It wasn't written yet, but um, he would have sort of hopefully known the principle because he did the same thing. This is the same sin revisited. It says renounces it. Confess it and renounce it. Not only did he not renounce it, he's repeating his sin from Egypt. She's my sister. It's my sister part two. And it's going to get worse, though. That's not even the worst part yet. Let's look at verse 13. More of his excuse. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. So it's not crystal clear, but um, it's kind of between the lines, in my opinion, once again. A lot of my opinion tonight, isn't it? But make your own mind up. It looks to me like he's blaming God. When God had me wander. If I go back and read those other chapters, did God ever tell him to go wander around and do all this? God says, go to the land I will show you. I call you to this specific place. And he was specific. This is the land. You're in it. You've entered it. He's saying, God made me wander around, and I just don't know what happened, you know. Next thing I know, I'm making up lies about my sister. He's blaming God. And I'll give you my, this might be my last opinion. I, I don't know. We'll see. Don't hold me to that, though. 
he's very blessed because we don't like the word lucky at church, do we? He's blessed because God, if you remember back to those covenant promises where they cut animal parts and you know, they were going to pass through them, but God passed through them by himself. Because of those covenant promises, God is given Abraham, I would say, extra, extra, extra grace. Because if we read our Bibles, God has killed people for doing less. He has literally punished and killed people for less. But because of those covenant promises, God is cutting him a lot of slack in all these sins. Because he's, if we think about, we're not even in chapter 20 yet. I don't even know how many mistakes the man's made. It, it's a long list. But we go to Hebrews, he's the hero of the faith. He's known as a man of great faith. Back to our story, verse 14. What happens next? Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves, and he gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him, just like God told him to. And then Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live anywhere you like. So he's, this pagan king is going above and beyond what God even required. All God told him to do was return the man's wife, return Sarah, and then go see the prophet, and he'll pray for you. He is going to do that, but he's now giving wealth and possessions and says, live anywhere you want. You can use my land. But in a way, that's another compromise on Abraham's part. But if we go back to chapter 14, um, Pastor Dave taught these passages. Let's review them on the screen. It's Genesis 14. Remember, and we'll see it when I say, I'll just read it. It'll be easier to understand. But Abraham, this is after that big battle. He said to the king of Sodom, this is, you know, pre-destruction, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. I will accept nothing belonging to you, you pagan king. I'll add that part for you. Not even a thread or the strap of a sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. That was his hard line, line in the sand, chapter 14. I'll take no money, no possessions, no wealth. If you remember that story, he allowed some of the men to keep a little bit of the plunder, and he gave it all back to the king. Then he tithed part of that you know, money, but he took nothing. Chapter 14, now to 20, what's he doing? Almost the opposite. He's receiving wealth, animals, slaves. It's going to change into money in a few minutes. So he's kind of looks... Once again, like his morals have wavered a little bit since chapter 14. Let's keep reading verse 16. Then to Sarah, he says, this is Abimelech, I'm giving your brother. Made me wonder as I read that, your brother. Did he, did he kind of wink and or did he, like, they probably didn't do this, your brother. I'm giving your brother all this wealth. Or did he just roll his eyes? Maybe he just rolled his eyes. I'm giving your brother a 1,000 shekels, and in modern terms, that would be about 25 pounds of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all that are with you. You are completely vindicated. What offense? He didn't, God already told him, you have a clean conscience. If anybody was offensive, it was Abraham. So he's taken now kind of, to me, almost dirty money because there is no offense. If anybody was offensive, it was him. And he caused the whole mess by lying, saying, she's my sister. But it ends well. Then in verse 17, it says, Abraham prayed to God because he was, remember, he was told to go to the prophet. He'll pray for you. And look at what happened after that. God healed Abimelech, his wife, and all his female slaves so they could have children again. 
We didn't know they couldn't, but verse 18 is going to tell us they couldn't. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. It was all about the promised son, Isaac. We can't have any kids till Isaac comes. And Isaac's got to be Abraham, so nobody can have children till they fix this mess that Abraham caused. So Abimelech did exactly what he was supposed to, but really above and beyond by giving him land, wealth, slaves, etc. So that's where 20 ends. We're going to do part of 21 now. Verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Kind of the, the end of the story in a, a few more minutes. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he's going to come through on his promise. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had already promised. But before we get to that promise, let's just take a quick review. Just in these few chapters, what Abraham has done. And, and it's a, a list that can go on top of the list from the other weeks we taught on Abraham. He's been disobedient. He didn't trust God to protect him and his wife and his family members. He didn't trust God to provide for them. That's why they went down to this other city. He's repeatedly lied, so he's in active sin. And then not only sinning, he's sort of, in my mind anyway, blamed God for, God caused me to wander around and that's really what happened. He's not looking very faithful, but God's still going to come through. God's going to honor what he already promised, which is our final main point if you're taking notes. When we're unfaithful, and we probably will be if we're honest, God remains faithful. He, he never goes back on his word. He cannot deny who he is. That's the second time tonight. We have another verse as a main point. Because sometimes, usually, God's word is so crystal clear. Why would I try to make a main point when it's already right there? It's a verse that tells us God is faithful even when we're not. And even when we mess it up like Abraham has done, God's still going to be faithful. He promised. His word says it. He will honor those same promises to us when we mess up. That's what we should take away from this story because we're messy people. We're going to mess up. Messy people make mistakes, don't we? But God is faithful when we're not. So when we wander, when we try to blame God, maybe we even get mad at God for some kind of tragedy, a death in our family or something, he's still faithful. He never changes. So always remember that. We're going to see how faithful our next few verses. Verse 2. It's what God promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time. That's the key. At the exact time it was supposed to happen. Because remember, if you go back to that story from two weeks ago, God said, this time next year you will have a son. This is now this time. At the very time God had promised him. If we keep reading, it says, Abraham gave the name Isaac, which he was told to, remember, two weeks ago, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, just as God commanded. Look at verse 5. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. God came through. Abraham just got impatient. He gave up and took matters into his own hands. It's another miraculous birth in some ways. Now, we know about one miraculous birth. The most famous, of course, is Jesus. He had no earthly father. It's a miracle birth by God. 
But in a way, Isaac is what I would call a partial, at least, miracle birth because there is no human way to have a child at 190. There's just, it's impossible. She's been through menopause. Things aren't working like they're supposed to. But it's even going to get better than that if I read a few more verses. Let's read 6 and 7. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Then she added in verse 7, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? So not just bore children, she's going to nurse children at 90 plus. In, in medical terms, ask a doctor if that's possible. He probably would laugh at you and laugh at me. Yet, the answer is, I have borne him a son in his old age. It just shows you the goodness of God. That even though they made mistake after mistake after mistake, God still came through. And he honored his promise to them. Even when they failed, even when they didn't trust God, even when they came up with their own dumb plan after dumb plan after dumb plan, God says, I made a covenant promise. My word, I don't change. My word or my character, I'm still coming through even though you've dropped the ball. And it's a great picture in a way of redemption and restoration because if you go back to those chapters a few weeks ago when we were talking about Sarah, remember she was in the tent, she was eavesdropping, she wasn't really supposed to be listening and God told Abraham at this time next year you'll have a son and it said Sarah kind of laughed to herself and then God asked Abraham and I made the case that week it was Jesus in the flesh and he asked Abraham, why did, she, why did Sarah laugh? And she goes, I didn't laugh. And they both said that, remember? They both laughed at one point. And I kind of said two weeks ago that I believed it was because God wanted them to remember their lack of faith. But right now, if, if that did happen, that was just my speculation too, by the way. Now it's a joyful laughter. Now, let me read that verse again. Sarah says, Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, not at me, with me. It'll be joyful laughter. Can you believe what God did is what that really translates almost into. Joyful, I can't believe you had to wait till 90 to have your own child. Because if you think about that historically, you know, she would have been almost ostracized. You're infertile. You can't have children. There's no lineage coming from you. That's why that whole crazy Ishmael story happened. But now that negative, God flipped it to a positive. It's a story of redemption and restoration and really great joy. So now when they hear the name Isaac, it won't be a negative. It might have been for a few chapters, but now I think it'll be a great remembering of, wow, look what God did. Wow, God gave us a son. That's impossible, but it happened. God is so good. He loves us so much, just like we sang about as we opened tonight. And everybody would have, you know, think about how that would have spread through that area, maybe that region. Even that pagan king Abimelech probably heard that story like, that's not possible. I saw those two. She was 90. But there's the son, the son Isaac. So it's just a great, I think, reminder once again that no matter how bad we mess up, you, me, all of us in this room, all of you watching online, God can fix it. But he does require, like some of our points tonight, to us to ask for forgiveness 
and also to try to do better and, and walk away from that behavior. And Abraham will do that. The story after this gets a whole lot better. We're kind of coming out of most of his messiness because not too long from now, and I'll jump ahead, but we know the story. I'm not telling you things you don't already know. He's known for his faith because, remember, this is the son he takes and almost lays on the altar, and he pulls the knife, and he's ready to stab him. And he's really going to do it, it looks like, in Scripture. But God says, I just wanted to see if you would really do it. There's a ram over there in the bush. Go get him. And, and his faith gets a whole lot better. But he started out, I would say, sort of messy. Wouldn't you? It just shows you our messy past in some ways, is irrelevant to God. We're not held responsible for what we did. We're held responsible for what we're going to do going forward. Like, what will you do now that you know my son? Do better from this day forward is what our challenge is as well as Abraham's. So let's just pray for that. And we need the Holy Spirit, don't we, to help do that? We can't do better without the Holy Spirit, so let's just ask for help in that area. Lord, tonight, thank you for this story of one big giant mess that turns into your miracle. And once again, that lineage from the Moabitess that led to the Savior Jesus. Lord, that just proves to us that our mess can be your miracle. But Lord, we do need help to obey and follow and just be more like you, Lord. So Father, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be better people that love you more, pursue you more, follow you more, we're never going to be perfect. We're all going to sin, Lord, but we can try to sin less and be more like Jesus. But Father, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to do that very thing. We love you. We praise you. All glory and praise to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen. amen. See you this weekend. Sometimes, uh...